Welcome everyone to episode 89 of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. We're going to start off today's episode a little differently. Obviously, you're joined by the usual hosts, so I won't bother running through our names again. If you don't know our names by now, then that's concerning. So we're actually going to start off with some reviews. And we don't usually chat about reviews. We should probably mention reviews a bit more because it's um, it's kind of vital for the growth of our podcast. But unsurprisingly, we've we've actually only got five star reviews on on Apple Apple Podcasts. So don't think any of any of us are surprised by that. But this one says the boys offer so much valuable info not related to bodybuilding as well. Obviously, five stars. Dy. Zinger, no mayo hack, DC, expanding my vocabulary, Lawrence, neutral spine only, and Jack, RDL is the true benchmark. So that's uh, quite quite a genuine review. What do you guys think? Well, you did get the Zinger right. That is a staple, and that had to be in there. It's integral yeah, to BDU canon, I would dare say, is the, the law around the Zinger. Mm, and you got to be mm. careful where you put that word RDL. Um, Lawrence still has PTSD. That's it. I'm off the call. Bye. I mean, that's why he's back doing conventionals. Like mention yeah. mention RDL. It's 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 game over. Yeah. I actually would not. I don't even like being around Romanian people anymore. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's completely ruined the culture for me. That's too bad. Can't can't uh, meet AJ's client then, Radu. No, he'd Romanian be a, something. Yeah, not that I'd want to stand next to him anyway. He'd he'd be massively out angling <laughs> me. So that that works fine. Well, we'll read, we'll read out one more. So it says, great podcast, lots of good information for Australia, local context and knowledge with content, contest prep. Keep it up, boys. And um, yeah, Lawrence, did you know that people can actually write their own review on Apple Podcasts? Mate, I, I had an inkling that it was possible. And I, I was also aware that a five-star review, it seemed to be the only option when I was reviewing our own show to get the numbers up. <laughs> And obviously to pad our stats, but well, it would make sense that it's the only option. No one else has left anything other than a five-star review. So one would think that is the prevailing opinion about the show. And I, I, I believe it's pretty similar scenes on Spotify as well. Yeah, I think maybe people are slightly more critical on, on Spotify, but it is quite customary to leave a five-star review for bodybuilding down under. So if you are feeling generous, feel free to even write us a review on Apple Podcasts and we'll gladly uh, read them through as they come. So feel free to say something entertaining. And, and I think all the, the review entries, don't don't they go into a like sort of a pool to, to win Jack's Cybertruck? I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Mm, mm. And, my, and my Chromebook, once my MacBook Pro comes back, you can have my Chromebook. Lovely. And yeah, although you can't unfortunately write us something text-based on Spotify, feel free to leave a uh, customary five-star review would be much appreciated. And we actually close to pulling ahead of Lawrence's podcast, actually, in terms of the number of reviews. So if we can get that to 200 before Lawrence, I think we'll officially yeah, have to I mean, what is this stuff? I mean, it's all just made up numbers and stars <laughs> and nonsense. So, I mean, you know, slow your roll, but get over to mine and get me to 200, you cowards. Honestly, yeah. come on. I've been calling for it. A- there's a superstar guest going down on that podcast in the next couple of weeks. So I don't know if it's really, if we're really going to be able to catch up. Bam. All I'm saying is that episode 116, Eric Helms. Episode 117, 
probably one of the steepest declines in the quality of guests <laughs> that you will ever see on a podcast. Some dude named, you know, Yates. I, I can't even remember his first name, but he was absolutely hopeless. Caught in yeah, that is a tough one to follow. Probably like close to the number one podcaster um, in Oceania and and then DY on after. But no, nah, yeah. DY put on a clinic. It was a very good chat. So he will more than more than make up for uh, the shadow that Eric Helms will leave, no doubt. Right. Well, I think we'll get into some just some reviews of our week and see how everything's been tracking along with each of us. So DY, I'll let you kick things off. How are things going? Yeah, man, everything's good. Just start up my new program this week. I'm going to try something a little bit different. Like I haven't really run too much of a six-day training split before, but I'm going to run a six-day training split uh, for this next current block. Now, what I've done is I've kept a lot of my lifts that I ran in my previous block, and I've just now kind of extended that into a six-day training block, hitting legs twice a week. I know, unbelievable. I didn't think I would ever have to say it again as well. But there is arms before the legs. So now I can allocate a little bit more volume towards my arms. Um, so yeah, that, that's pretty much one of the biggest changes to my training block is extending it an extra day. Similar training volumes, just a little bit more spread out, a little bit higher frequency on some of the muscle groups that I do want to bring up, like my back. Um, you know, Lawrence has motivated me, you know, after seeing the paperback, get a little bit less paper-like. Um <laughs> <laughs> um, so i'm done i'm off the call yeah and then also putting on uh arms on a high frequency which the you know the six times a week training block will allow so i'm excited to do it technically like i said on paper it's still around about the same training volume a little bit higher um considering i've been able to add in the extra day some of the workouts are a little bit shorter but overall i'm looking forward to that side of things everything's climbing nicely in regards to the body weight as well i think it was 94.3 this morning so closing the gap on dc um it's the it's the race to our 110 here at this current stage so i'm excited to see him push Hopefully well, by Christmas get there to be honest. <laughs> hopefully by Christmas we can both be looking at who's going to be filling the role of Santa. So, um, no, but everything's looking good on that front. I think around food wise, it's around about like four thousand calories as well. Oh, and going down easy, Jack. I don't want to say it. Um, no real drama on that front. Yeah, but it does contain about a little <laughs> yeah 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 it is quite easy to get down on 10 fiber and a liter of v8 juice not gonna lie but you know things are swimming uh going very swimmingly yeah right are you on the v8 juice i thought the last like fruits and vegetables you would have eaten were roll-ups back at school <laughs> uh, <laughs> no nah, yeah i normally get about 10 servings of fruit 10 servings of veg just from v8 juice itself so that goes down <laughs> absolutely great <laughs> it's like man no, that's I'm... a nice like intra workout like what sort of brand of intra workout have you got there it's like no 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 that's just the va juice <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah the the 1.25 liter bottle v8 juice going down what's Fruit the go-to flavor at the moment oh i like the breakfast juice i think the breakfast juice is the good one i got one one time it was like carrot and ginger I was like, what the fuck? Uh, same colors, man. You know, both were orange containers. <laughs> man, I messed up. <laughs> and you know what? I looked at the label and the breakfast juice has one fruit, one veg. And then I look at the label of this other one. I can't remember what it was. Um, and then it had two veg, one fruit. So I knew there was something off. But ratios were off. Ratios were off and far too much fruit and veg in one serving for my liking. Many trips to the toilet were had, but... Lawrence, you've literally been cooking. 
How's it been going? <laughs> oh dear. Mate, I, I've quite literally been cooking. I was just fortunately I have my headphones on for these podcasts, so even if I leave the room, I can still hear. And that was a, a tremendous uh little segment from DY there. But yeah, one of my resolutions was to learn to bake bread. So every half an hour at the moment I just need to go in there and they call it stretching and sort of like airing the bread out. So I was just doing that. It's coming along a treat. I have no idea whether or not I'm doing the right thing, but I've followed the instructions so we can only hope for the best. But yeah, I, I just wanted to say, D.Y., that's light, mate. I, I'm at 110 already, nine weeks post-show, 30 kegs up from stage, feeling terrible. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a third contender here to play Santa for this year's Christmas. We never know. If I'm, yeah, if I was actually 30 kilos up from stage, I'm not sure if I'd be making it to Christmas at this rate. So, yeah. <laughs> Diabetes. <laughs> how's training though been? Like, how's the, uh, how's the new split? Yeah, very good. I am actually in the midst of a deload at the moment. So I managed to get, oh, I think we did seven weeks of, I suppose, the first official block of the off season really really happy with everything i think that the split is good i'm happy with the general construction of the sessions and there's only been a few minor changes that will make moving into the next block probably the most significant is adding in i don't even want to call it a full training day it's sort of a bit of a half day where i'm going to go in and do like a little top up arms and calves session so I've got that in on like a Friday morning. Shouldn't take me very long, but just a way to drive up a little bit more arm volume is something I've wanted to play around with for a long time. But I feel like now I'm I'm in a position where I can do it and not have too much impact on sort of the rest of the day as the schedule allows. Uh, but other than that, things are looking very similar. Like a lot of the primary movements that I'm running were moving very well, even towards the end of the block. So I haven't felt the need to shake up too many bits and pieces. Um, and then this week, basically the approach to deloading is just getting in one push, one pull, one legs, and then a couple extra rest days across the week. And then with those training sessions, I'm still trying to push to a decent RPE, but just sort of taking the gas off a little bit. Um, and also just not doing any movements that are particularly fatiguing. So I'm not deadlifting this week or hack squatting. So they're sort of pumpy sessions, still getting a pretty good stimulus, but not not trying to create a whole lot of fatigue and already feeling quite good, um, responding well to the deload. I'm also going the no caffeine this week. That first day is always so like so rough. And that's even with me, I don't consume a whole lot of caffeine. Like I'm only really having sort of one bolus a day. So people who like, you know, are having multiple coffees or like multiple coffees and an energy drink. If they did like a week, no caffeine, I think they would be, you know, in the absolute doldrums uh, with fatigue. Whereas myself, it's sort of that first one to two days is a bit rough. Then I, I feel pretty good. Out of curiosity with your training split, I remember that you had like a heavy prioritization on like back volume. How many sets did you actually end up getting towards on the back end of like the mesocycle? Well, I didn't actually increase the sets as we went through the mesocycle. I just kept the set numbers the exact same. So it was around 30 sets per week. And that split across three different days where I trained back. Yeah, very nice. And how did you recover from it? Did it feel good? You made progressions weekly? I yeah, think you're going to make I, progressions weekly regardless coming out of prep. Yeah, you are. And I think I think for myself, like it was definitely the most that I've noticed like a significant disruption 
to like my back musculature because that's something I've thought in the past where it's like, man, I feel like I could almost train back every day and, you know, still recover pretty well. But I think that the combination of trying to utilize some longer muscle length, some more length and partials and just pushing up the volume, like the pumps and the disruption I thought were very good. And the progressions were still very solid as well. And I think for a lot of movements, I'm really trying to focus on sort of feeling certain things as well, particularly things like, you know, a lower lap bias row or a pull down where it's sort of not just good enough to move the load at this point. Like I really want to make sure I'm feeling everything because, you know, I need to, I need to change up something in my back training because whilst it improved, I would have liked it to improve more. So I think between a little bit more emphasis on getting a very good mind muscle connection, a little bit higher volumes via some more frequency, I'm hoping that, you know, it does eventuate to me getting the result that I want to, but I'm pretty committed to running these higher volumes sort of as long as I can, um, because I know everything else will continue to improve without me needing to really throw a hell of a lot of volume at it. So the back needs the most TLC. So it just makes sense to prioritize that. What about you, DC? How are things going? Mm, well, speaking on, I guess, back back bias training, I'm similar to you, Lawrence. Like most of my my sets per muscle is allocated towards my back training. I actually just started a new training block on Monday and Towards the back end of last week, uh, I was starting to really feel the effects of a good ten or so weeks straight of of non you know a deload non deloading. So I ran a not a full training deload, but I reduced my volumes and intensity on the last two days, and then I wanted to see how I would go in the first session of this week as to whether I needed to extend that out any longer. And the first session felt great, so I just benefited from those two days of reduced volume and intensity. And, and now I can attack this week and, and feel a lot more fresh, but I actually don't have as high volumes as you Lawrence in terms of back. I think my, my back sets per muscle is sitting around like 24. So, which is still, you know, relatively substantial there. My chest volume is, is pretty low. It's actually below 10. It's uh, nine sets. Uh, I've got direct delt volume sitting at around, uh, 12 sets, biceps and triceps is only six uh, direct for direct volume. And then quads, 12, uh, glutes, 12, hamstrings, 15, adductor, nine. So a bit more higher adductor frequency, adductors three times a week, back training three times a week, chest twice, but pretty low volumes and uh, pretty low volumes for arms is, and uh, yeah, and, and, and delts as well, I would say. Probably some of the areas that are a bit stronger for myself. So I don't really need to, as much as I do want to grow in these areas, I don't need to allocate as much of my training volumes towards that to improve total total symmetry. Um, but yeah, body weight trends are slowly creeping up. They're probably going to be a little bit more stagnant. I truthfully need to push my, my food a little bit higher moving into the, the coming week to start seeing that increase a bit more. I uh, touched upon the 96s and then I've actually just come down a little bit in terms of an average towards the high uh, 95s again. That's I've just so sat there over the past week. So I need to push things up a little bit higher. Uh, but yeah, other than that, everything is in a great, great spot. Recovering really well, sleeping well, training's been awesome. It's been um, a really solid stint. Out of curiosity, with the hamstring training, do you split that across three days or two days? Because 15 sets, like, fuck. I got, I, my, my hamstrings will fucking fall off the bone. Or have you yeah. just worked that yeah, up no, over time and is... now you're actually able to handle more hamstring volume? So split across split across two days. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would say a good portion of that hamstring volume is 
hamstring curl variants. Uh, I seem to just respond very well to that. I am back into sumo sumo deadlifting again. So I'm running two, two, two sets of that. Um, wouldn't say a tremendous hamstring bias based uh, hinge pattern comparison to let's say an RDL, but I have ramped up my volumes for, for knee, uh, knee flexion based movements. So uh, just seem to respond very well. Like I'm very, I'm very glute dominant. So majority of the hinge based movements I do, my glutes just tend to take over on a lot of these. So just attacking my training with a bit more isolation exercises seem to provide some benefit. Mm. Very nice. Well, in terms of myself, I actually recently had a macro cut this week just to keep things moving along at the rate that they should. So I'm down by 50 carb on, so now 350 carb on a, on a training day and 250 on a rest day. So sort of already eating less than Lawrence was in the end of prep, but that's cool. And ah, training so wise, flat. that's going. We need the good. refeed. Yeah. In all honesty, though, I don't, I don't feel flat, but I, I probably look flat to your eyes, especially in that stripy shirt, mate. Honestly, it is, uh, it's cheesecake time. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit. What's, what's it been like though? Sleep, now so. moving into a diet phase, like obviously having run such an extensive period of uh, a gaining phase, is it sort of like riding a bicycle, so to speak? Like, you're just like, oh, again, this is, you know, what the deficit's all about. And, and I mean, and clearly you've, you've been a competitor in the past, you've dieted plenty of times, but I think there's almost sometimes that revelation you have when you first implement a diet phase, having not run one for so long. And you're like, oh yeah, this is what it's like to diet again. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There definitely is an element of that, but I would say mostly in the positive aspects uh, as opposed, rather than negative. I definitely am still in the honeymoon phase, like only a pleasant amount of hunger. Uh, I feel like my cognition has improved because I don't feel so sluggish from all the food and, and having all that sitting in my stomach. Um, I would say my perception, even though I never really had a issue with body image ever in a bulk, like my perception of body image is, is I would say higher, um, all that sort of stuff. So, and it's nice to see the changes happen fairly regularly. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it's going well and keen to, um, I think we've probably got maybe like three or so weeks to go. So it'll be about a seven week mini cut and then roughly two months of, of maintaining and then, uh, and then prep. Like I'm still, still kind of undecided about WNBF worlds because there's so many ICN shows this year. Like we've got two state shows, we've got nationals, we've got worlds, and then we've got the WNBF local show as well. Could do INBA over here if I want. So We'll see how everything pans out, though, and um, and yeah, see see where it takes us, mate. Camp Radford Smith, the people are crying for it, begging for it. In fact, the people are dying to see you just peeled out of your mind in the kitchen lighting, me sitting on a stool, sort of Matt Jansen esque, analyzing the physique, and then in brackets, Lawrence has no idea what he's looking at. And that hidden cameraman as well that's always going to follow us around. Like you would have seen the documentary too, oh, Lawrence, mate. on the one that was Dude, over at Seattle. It was unreal. It like, the guy that DY hired to film the week, I didn't see him once. Not once did I see this bloke. And DY assures me he's just editing it. So the mini movie should be out soon. But man, he was very aloof. I did not see a camera anywhere. It was almost to the point where I thought, DY's lying here. He hasn't hired a videographer, no, but he assured me. He assured me that he was just that good. DY actually saw 
I thought I saw once there was a hole in the mulch. He was actually... <laughs> yeah, that hole in the mulch. We don't know how that got there, but what the thought process was is that there was actually a hidden camera there and he had to go back, dig it out, and then move it around. But, like, Lawrence, like, obviously he's going to take some time, mate. It's 150 hours plus of video footage. Like, it's completely different ball game from one-hour podcast editing. Like, mm. videos, like, visuals, yeah. like, transitions. Like, yeah, he's got all kinds of actors that are going to be coming into play into this as well. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm thinking it, it being as, as prominent as, you know, Netflix, like Arnold, right? Like, you're just going to call it Lawrence. Mm. Yeah. General. Yeah. Yeah. General and the dirty little hole. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, I'm done. I'm done. I think we'll switch the topic before Lawrence uh, dies of laughter. So we'll enter into the Q&A portion of, of the episode. And this first question says, how much warm up should you be doing backstage? So I'm assuming this is warming up prior to kind of getting on stage and, and the pump up portion of things. I'll let you uh, take this one, DC. Yep. I I always like to have a little bit more time than less. So I typically ask my athletes to get up and have their sort of one hour out meal pretty much sitting at the one hour out, right? And that sort of encompasses taking the time to get the meal prepared, then consuming that, and then roughly sitting at the sort of the 45 minute out mark is where I would start, you know, more of like the hard pump up. Uh, I think it's important to sort of build into the pump up. So it might be just sort of getting the body moving. Uh, and then within that sort of last half an hour to potentially 20 minutes is really where you kind of push it to that, that nth degree in terms of getting that pump. I'm someone specifically who just needs a little bit more of a buildup. And I think some people can facilitate a pump relatively quickly, but I mean, truthfully, if I've just got a set of bands and a five or seven kilo dumbbell, like I'm going to need a bit, a bit to actually, Feel, feel that pump backstage. And I think also from just a mental perspective of, of being ready, like ready to jump on stage, I benefit from spending a little bit more time getting myself in that appropriate frame of mind, like that optimal you know, point of arousal. But I think 20 minutes, half an hour is probably ample enough to, to get a solid pump. But like if you're, you're like myself, you might just need a little bit longer. Always, always considering that if the show is running a little bit ahead of time or if it's potentially running you know, behind time, I guess you need to modulate how you're pumping up in accordance with how the day is running as well because there have been occasions where you know, an athlete is in the midst of pumping up and then the, the, the marshals come backstage and they're like, hey, boys, you know, we're actually an hour late. And it's like, oh, shit, okay. Well, now I need to kind of tone it down a little bit before I re-ramp it back up again. Or... On the flip side, you know, you think you're you're starting your your 45 minute pump out, you know, pump up, and the marshals come back and they go, "Look, guys, we're, we're 20 minutes away from you being on stage." Oh shit! Okay, now I've got to push it up to you know 11 out of 10 to uh, to get this going. So, I think having a little bit more time is always going to be beneficial. Yeah, I agree, and I think we can't forget about body temperature too. It's sometimes pretty cold backstage, especially if you're not wearing clothes and if uh if maybe you're competing in winter so even doing some gentle pumping up will, will help kind of raise that core body temperature a little bit i mean even in summer you're probably still going to be cold right yeah do that <laughs> there was a guy backstage at wmef worlds shout out to elias he was from switzerland and you'll remember him dy he was in my class he was the young guy who took second 
And he literally, we were all back there in the marshland area, everyone in our class is pumping up and he's just sitting there in a tracksuit doing absolutely nothing. And then when we got to the stage where they were like, all right, guys, stand here. There's one more class to go, then you're on. Then he started to pump up and he just looked absolutely ridiculous. And you're like, far out. We've all been pumping up for like 40 minutes. This dude pumps up for like 10 and he's good to go and looked absolutely wicked. So yeah, I think it's important to know yourself and sort of know what you need. Um, and like DC said, he knows that he needs to, you know, stay at it for a little while before his pump really comes to life. But someone else might go, okay, they just need hard, fast 10, 15 minutes and they'll be sweet. So it's just good to play around some different approaches and just work out what best is best for you. Especially on that, maybe that first show of the season, it might even be beneficial just to have a little bit more time. And then I guess as a product of learning from that first show, applying that to the second show, you might be able to go, okay, it took me a little bit longer than what I thought to get pumped this time around. Um, giving myself maybe just a touch more time leading into the second show of the season. Personally, I like doing like around like two full rounds of pump up or whatever I was going to do um, when I was competing. And then like visually having a look, seeing what I look like with a pump and seeing if there's anything that might need to be addressed within that last hour. So normally I would have like my little bits of fruit or whatever I might be having. And normally that was timed about an hour from when I was meant to step on stage. I'll then visually have a look at how I'm looking with the pump. And, you know, that hour does give you a little bit of leeway to maybe make those finite little 1% changes if you do need to make anything in that regard. You don't need to pump up for that full hour, but, you know, doing two rounds an hour out gives you a pretty damn good gauge of probably what you're going to nearly look like um, come the actual stage time. And then, you know, you can kind of maintain that pump, practice your posing in the meantime, because trust me, that one hour lead into stage, that thing flies. Like next thing you know, you're 30 minutes out, 15 minutes out they got you in the backstage area fully pumping up and you know you're pretty much on and like what dc said there's been so many times there you know where the shows actually get pushed forward and you know they're sitting there and be like we're actually 15 minutes early and then you caught off guard you haven't even had your pre-stage meal and now you've got to get four or five rounds of pumping done before you actually get on stage so yeah i feel I like think- there's nothing worse than that, that feeling of rush backstage where you know you're not actually you're true 100 percent, or like where you need to be and it's just a product of like poor timing like it's like a oh shit i should have pumped up a little bit earlier or oh my god i didn't realize that they were going to run this just a touch quicker like if i'd been ready just an extra 15 minutes earlier like out of less fear of being like over pumped and tired yes you can certainly overdo it i think you can you know if you're one hour out and you're just absolutely gunning it on push-ups like am wraps left right and center then yeah you're going to be absolutely fatigued but i think if you kind of slowly build into it so that you've got a kind of almost like a base level of of of, of arousal and and pump going around and then you can then turn it up to that next level like when you need it i think another thing is also depending on what divs you have that day and how many actual divisions you've got for example, one example that comes to mind is like Rika. She was doing sports. I mean, she was right on the cusp of probably being a bit too big for sports. So we more or less only did like one pump up round about 15, 20 minutes out. And then we left the full pump up round to actually go fitness because we knew if we had to maintain her pretty much pumped up completely for about four or five hours, um, it was probably going to cause some issues on the back, back end of the actual day. So, you know, playing a little bit more conservative, depending on what div- divisions you fit and so on like that. And then you can make alterations as the day goes forward. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm actually going to hand this over to you as, as well, DY. So it says, how do you implement cardio, not steps in prep 
And is it normal to have to do a lot of cardio? Well, the one thing I think the biggest, the biggest thing here is probably the individual and their lifestyle. Like does their lifestyle no longer really facilitate pushing up steps any further? For example, they have an office job, 10 K is an absolute mission for them already. They're already at the upper cusp of that. Now you've got to maybe increase the daily activity somehow or the weekly activity. How are you going to go about doing that? You can't take the steps up any further. So now you're probably looking at either one, reducing food down further, sometimes isn't the most optimal way to go about it, given the amount of calories that they might already be on. So you can maybe look at adding in extra uh, expenditure throughout the week. So, you know, first point of call probably comes to cardio. So maybe you could implement that on your rest days or days that aren't so physically demanding. That's probably how I would go about doing it. Normally, best case scenario is, you know, you try and take the steps up nearly as high as possible because they carry the probably the least amount of fatigue compared to nearly all forms of cardio. But that exact same time, you know, if adding in the cardio makes it so much easier on the individual's lifestyle um, and their lifestyle factor, then, you know, maybe cardio even earlier on within the preparation phase could actually be a good point of call. I know a lot of individuals that have implemented cardio on because they've liked it, um, you know, throwing that on rest days seems to work a lot better than actually having very large amounts of uh, step counts. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, my uh, Boston was barking as you guys mm. probably heard. So yeah, I I would ultimately, DC, I'll actually throw this over to you um, and I'll kind of back you up afterwards while I um, put Boston outside. No worries. Yeah, so I, I, I completely agree. I think in terms of um, accounting for steps, I, like, I think that's immensely important in a prep. I think they're perhaps in sort of more of the golden era of you know bodybuilding i think it was more prominent to perhaps put forth uh cardio recommendations around just minutes like minutes on the stepper minutes on the recumbent cycle uh minutes on the treadmill etc and perhaps less of a cognizance towards total uh what we consider to be neat right which is non-exercise activity thermogenesis the amount of energy that we expend through day-to-day -day movement. And as we know, as a product of the diet condition, we get what's called adaptive thermogenesis. It's basically where our body slows down its metabolic rate as a means of preserving our energy expenditure. So the amount of energy that we might expend doing, let's say half an hour on the treadmill, you know, in the off season, will we'll look you know, far less, uh, could even be 20 or 30% less calories expended uh, towards the you know the very back end of a contest prep and let's say a body that needs to get exceptionally lean so with that in mind i think the importance of, of accounting for steps in that regard is just to standardize your activity levels if you're putting forth let's say cardio recommendations of you know half an hour a day on on the treadmill or the cross trainer or the bike or something like that i do think that as a product of being more tired in prep it's very common that people will subconsciously reduce reduce their neat levels and we've talked about this in the past of that example of, you know, sitting on the couch and not wanting to reach or get up for the remote because I'm too tired to do so. I'd rather just sit here and watch uh, a crappy show on TV, regardless of whether I care for it or not. So I think implementing cardio, if anything, can perhaps be complementary to uh, step count. So, you know, for example, if you have an individual that actually enjoys doing the elliptical or the Stairmaster or something like that, you may as a coach prescribe that above and beyond standardizing a step count. So let's say for example, an individual is stepping 8,000 steps or 10,000 steps as their sort of minimum goal. And then a means of potentially increasing activity above and beyond that 
as a means of you know expending more energy might then come down to prescribing cardio on top of that hey on these days we're going to be doing half an hour on the elliptical you know two times per week on our rest days something something like that for example i think yeah this like ultimately the smaller the individual is i would say i don't want to sort of draw a line and say this is always the case because there's I don't, I don't think there's any research on it but especially females who are smaller very low calorie intakes and the likelihood of them maybe needing to do cardio is is probably relatively high um would you would you guys say the same thing from your experience as a coach yeah a hundred percent i think comparatively probably the calories aren't too much of a difference in regards to actually kcals per kilo as they get leaner mm. but at the exact same time I also have like a point in my mind where I'm like, I really don't want to take this individual past a certain amount of food to an extent, unless I really, really have to. And that's probably why I'll resort to probably throwing in a little bit more cardio. Not only that, um, females can also handle a lot more training volume um, as far as I've seen personally and probably regards to sets. One, probably being because they're a smaller individual, you know, they might, know, might not be throwing around as much weight, for example, as what a male counterpart might in that exact scenario. So normally they can probably handle the cardio a little bit better than probably what a male can. And then not only that as well, you know, I might be able to keep their food a little bit higher. So therefore the training performance within the gym could also be at a decent level another thing with females is maybe when you're taking their food so low you don't really have enough carbohydrates to put around training anymore so maybe you might want to not take them so low in regards to carbohydrates you might be able to keep a little bit of that in add in some cardio and instead maybe try and push some carbohydrates around training to maybe try and maintain some of that training performance and manage hunger a little bit better yeah i think i do agree that at, there becomes a point at which Dropping food is just a bit redundant or it's not redundant because it would still work if you dropped food. But at that stage of prep, there's that reward aspect of food, like the reward center in the brain. And even from a pure enjoyment standpoint, I think people would rather do some extra cardio than drop from like 1300 calories down to a thousand calories or 1100 calories. Um, or that's just hypothetic would be like 1500 to 1400, whatever it may be. So yeah, I think we'll move into this next question, which says, when calculating arm slash delt volume, do you take into account pressing slash pulling exercises? Lawrence, what's your take on this? Yeah, it's a very interesting one. I personally don't. Like when I'm calculating my arm volume, I'm only looking at direct exercises and I'm also doing the same thing for delts. But because I think for delts, it's like, I mean, it's like the anterior delt, you're going to get something out of your pressing, rear delt, you're going to get some from your rowing. So I think that like your side delts, you should probably keep an eye on how much your, you know, volume you're doing there, especially if it's an area that needs to come up. But I think even if you're not counting it, as long as you're fairly consistent, then it should be fine because chances are, you know, your anterior delts and your rear delts are always going to get a requisite amount of work from your pressing and your pulling. And then if you're just fairly consistent with tracking the direct work, then you should still see a response whether or not you, you know, increase volume, for an example. When it comes to arms, I think once again, like, you know, we're in those movements, your biceps or your triceps are not necessarily the prime mover or the main muscle that is doing the work there. And often they're not being taken to like a fully lengthened position, for example, with the load actually on that muscle. So like for a row, 
yeah, you might be getting to the stage where your elbow is fully extended, but it's not like your bicep is under any, if any load in that position. So I think a lot of the time it doesn't really make sense to track that as bicep volume. And I think that's where some of the research can be quite misleading because in some of these studies where you see people doing 30 to 40 sets, you know, they could be counting a lot of the rows and pressing as direct bicep and tricep work whilst also considering the direct bicep and tricep work. So I personally don't, I think at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, but as long as you're being consistent, it's kind of like if your scale is off by 500 grams, well, if it's off by 500 grams every time, at least you you know how you're progressing rather than just sort of using a different metric each time. But I do think that, you know, if you aren't keeping track at least a little bit of how much direct work you're doing and those areas are a weak point, that might be a good little thing for you to do is, okay, let's reevaluate how we track these sets. And you might go, oh, you know, I might think I'm doing 20 sets of biceps, but I'm actually only doing three. Maybe that's why they're not growing. My little question to that is what would you do? Would you count some of the sets in regards to like barbell back squats? Would you count those as quad only? Or would you maybe do like, you know, allocate a little bit of that volume towards maybe glutes in there as well? And some of the, some, one that really does come to mind is like a barbell RDL. You might really prioritize glutes, but realistically, you're going to get some hamstring in there. Like, are you going to only count that towards glutes? Because when I do some of my programming like that, I'll kind of do like what I call like a half set in regards to tracking. So I won't fully count it maybe towards a direct set, like, you know, in regards to hamstring, if it's very, very glute dominant, but I'll still take into account a portion of that like training set to in their overall sets throughout the week. Yeah, I think that's where it gets tricky because you start to view these sets as like a bit of an abstract number. But I think we can all agree that not all quad sets or chest sets are made equal. You know, there's a big difference between a set of leg extensions and a set of hack squats. So I think that's where I would probably say, and at least I do this for myself, where rather than getting so caught up in like, quote unquote, balancing the books or making the numbers add up to like how many sets I'm after for the week, I would rather view it in the sense of like, all right, I look at my session and I'm going to fill out that session as I deem fit based on what I need to hit, what I know it can recover from. At the end, I'll add it all up and I'll go, cool, that's where that's sitting. So I'm not necessarily just trying to push to this arbitrary number. It's more me looking as at the session as a whole and then sort of adding or taking away sets where I deem fit. Because I think it's kind of like, the training equivalent of just doing if it fits your macros like if you're just trying to hit the numbers and then factoring nothing else in you're probably missing some areas where you could be doing a little bit more and that's why we encourage people to yes hit your macros but you're still choosing nutritious sort of like whole foods and i think it's a similar way with you know the set volumes per week is like okay yes we want to hit these numbers but you still need to zoom out and look at you know, your micro cycle as a whole in terms of each individual session and the sessions across the week to make sure that it, you know, it's like, does it pass the eye test or the sniff test? Like, does it look feasible for someone to be doing this? One thing is, can you recover from the session? And where are you getting sore post the session, especially if it's like your first session ever doing it? Like, you know, if you're absolutely buried for four days, that's probably going to be a concern. And if you pull up so sore in your glutes that you can't even hinge over for a whole week, 
that's also probably another little concern there as well. And then, you know, then maybe you could change some of the set volumes post that. Mm. I think standardizing perhaps counting direct sets is, is, uh, is a method that I utilize myself just because I guess one of the, one of the, the, um, I guess something we're putting forth to our clients or our athletes in terms of training intensity is, is that the, the reason why you, let's say you don't perform an additional repetition or you don't increase the load on a particular exercise is because ultimately it was the target tissue that, that you took within a close proximity of failure. Right. So, you know, I look at something like, let's say a, a, a barbell row or a, a bent over row, or even a mid row plate loaded, you know, hopefully by the time you reach that end stage fatigue, you're fatiguing because your, your back is not, you know, your lats, your rhomboids, et cetera. You're not able to generate the force necessary to pull, pull the weight through. And hopefully you're not fatiguing because the biceps simply cannot, you know, contribute to the movement more. So, so I think like tension awareness is an important, important variable when it comes to training, but in terms of counting sets, I always tend to think, okay, well, which which is the actual muscle here that I'm I'm aiming to fatigue as a product of the particular movement, and therefore it's probably effective that I count the the sets per muscle towards that without necessarily throwing out the fact that we have to be aware of the the synergistic movements that are also contributing or the synergistic ex uh, muscles that are also contributing to the movement as well. You know, I'm doing a lat pull down, I'm still going to work, work the biceps. I do a a you know a, a barbell bench press. I'm still very much working the triceps as well. Uh, so you could either count it as direct sets or I guess as not uh, direct sets as well. And But I guess just like Lawrence said, as long as you standardize it, you're able to evaluate it and then adjust it accordingly. That's probably where the, the like the real money is. Mm. Yeah, I ultimately agree. I think as long as it's adjustable and you know, and it's a replicable method, then that's the most important thing. I, I think I can understand why people get confused though of like giving certain muscle groups, certain amounts of volume and what exercises do what. I think if anything, arms and delts are maybe a little bit more simple compared to something like as DY was saying, the glutes where you have the RDL, you have the back squat, you have like the high, high foot leg press where are those quad move, is that a quad movement? Is it a glute movement? Is it both? Um, so maybe a little bit more complicated there. Yeah. Cause I mean, but you I can think, even argue like, for example, a high, a high stance, uh, leg press, like, are you going to accumulate any fatigue through the quad, the quads as a product of a higher foot leg press? I mean, you probably will to a degree, right? I mean, they're not going to be as fatigued as if you ran a, a super knee over toe, uh, mm. style variant, but I still do think that you may accumulate some, some fatigue there. Yeah. So, I mean, you I mean, I would personally list, too. Uh, I would personally count that as towards quad volume, like a high stance leg press. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. One that, mm. one that comes to mind that I do carry over a lot into is like the lower back sets, like the amount of lower back loading sets, because I find that is probably one of the more limiting factors in regards to probably the recoverability and maybe like some of the little issues and niggles that a lot of people experience with the lower back, you know, you know, so like if you're doing an RDL, like even though you might not count that as directly lower back, it is lower back to an extent, but then, you know, if you would also have <laughs> yeah. then, if, if then you're going to yeah. go, all right, barbell back squat, we're not going to count that towards lower back and then glued hyperextension. And the next thing you know, you've got nine sets of indirect lower back. Sometimes that can have a carryover effect. And then the next day they go, well, I did a mu exercise for every single muscle group that I did, but my back is absolutely fucking cooked because I've done nine indirect sets, but I've only done three direct sets of all these other exercises. So, um, how many people train their lower back directly though? 
not not too many these days. I see Dirk doing yeah, some like yeah. Yeah. I do as well. It was actually a, a progression back into like after I hurt my my lower back, mm. progressing back into heavier hinges again, as I would do on the GH the GHR, basically just body weight extensions. And then eventually yeah. added a band around the neck. And so man, it man, it absolutely lights up your erectors. Holy mm. shit. Like, I actually did that as well coming back from my back in the too. Yeah, more so than than I would get from deadlifts. Um, yeah. Which is interesting, you know, the whole concept and, and and discussion around like loading the lengthened position. I mean, if you look at, for example, the erectors, they're kind of like an exception to the rule in that regard, right? Because how many people do you encourage to load a super lengthened position of the erectors uh, like you would, for example, doing a behind the body, you know, bicep curl, right? So I feel like the erectors are a, are a fantastic uh, example of a muscle that's well-trained in perhaps more of a static static position or an isometric position, which is doesn't really account for many muscle groups that we would encourage, right? Like don't, like you're not going to your client going, yeah, like look, moving forward, I want you to train your biceps, but only do isometrics. Just only hold the dumbbell in an isometric position <laughs> for the, all of your bicep volume moving forward. You'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure there's a coach out there who does prescribe that, but fortunately not one of us. I think we'll end with this question though, uh, quite a meaty one to, to um, conclude this podcast. So after seeing 2023 competitive season, what do you think of the current state of bodybuilding? And then in sort of some notes aside from that, WMBF Worlds, some people, for example, a few years ago mentioned that uh, it was going backwards, which may have been related to COVID. But Lawrence, what do you think about that as a whole? I think it's probably in arguably the best state it's been in a very long time. Like I probably see this world and obviously I'm biased, but I think it was probably one of the most competitive that there's ever been. I think numbers wise, it was one of the biggest. It had one of the largest, I think the largest representation in terms of the number of countries that were represented at the show. So when you look at the quality of the competitors, when you look at all the different countries that they're coming from and you look at every single division is having like extraordinarily deep lineups. I, I don't know how you can say anything but that bodybuilding and natural bodybuilding is in a very, very good spot. So I, I personally think it's it's in an excellent position. And whilst, yes, there's things about the sport that I, I wish were different, you know, probably wish we had a few less federations and things were a little bit more streamlined. But I think all things considered, the sport is growing. I think particularly in Australia, it's in a very good spot. Like I see, you know, sort of us, the US, the UK, and now, you know, like some of these like uh, European countries are just churning out like extremely high quality athletes. And um, and of course, as is huge news, WMBF Guam has, uh, has joined the foray. <laughs> so uh, that's obviously mega. And yeah, I have to awesome. back that back that as well even with like the ifbb though you see like their recent show in season b i think had about 50 percent more than the biggest show that they had ever had before which is a huge turnout in regards to like ifbb australia so even on the enhanced side of things or the untested side of things like you know they're they're definitely picking up their numbers and not only that as well i believe icn queensland also had like record-breaking numbers in regards to their last show so yeah, I think on all fronts, especially within Australia, everything's trending in the right direction. And then even WMBF, like I went to the one in 2019 before the COVID went down. And then I also went to the one last year. Um, and 
last year's was run extremely well. And then not only that, the level of athletes at that show were probably higher than 2019, which was, you know, just before everything started to go a little bit downhill. So I definitely think comparatively, um, since I've been in the industry, it's definitely trending in the right direction. Shows are looking better, high quality athletes across the board. And then not only that, more people competing at every single show. But with that being said, like what Lawrence said, there do there does decide to be a lot of federations that come around when they see this increase in numbers, probably by about 50% across the federations over a past like four to five years. Like, you know, um, there's definitely some money to be made in it. Yeah, it's no surprise that Lawrence has jumped on the coaching bandwagon. But I, I think bodybuilding is is getting more mainstream, like from what I've seen. And I think obviously social media plays a big role in that. And it's become maybe more accepted. I think maybe, for example, 10 years ago, people think of bodybuilding. They think of like uh, Ronnie Coleman and Jay Cutler and maybe low IQ, but that's obviously not the case. And at least for us four. And I think with the danger though of bodybuilding become more, more mainstream is that there's more competitors, uh, more coaches who are wanting to get into the scene, maybe who aren't as educated as they should be. And therefore there's the sort of potential for malpractice as well. So I think that's something that hopefully isn't too rampant, but it's, I think something that needs to be kept an eye on and competitors who do get into the sport need to be aware of who they're choosing as a coach. Well, I think, yeah, we're on quarter two exactly. So we'll probably wrap up here, but as per what we discussed at the beginning, if you're feeling friendly, feel free to leave us a a five-star review uh, or rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And we'll see everyone next week for a very special episode. Mm-hmm.